Nice to see you folks. A couple of uh, things you should be aware of. Uh, not next week, but the week after, that would be the 21st. We're having a special gathering here. Please don't miss it. Uh, our pastor is going to uh, lead us in a, a time of celebration with regard to the original church building, the chapel or the legacy building. It has to come down in order to make way for the new student ministry building, but out of respect, our pastor wants us to gather together and just reflect a little bit on the wonderful things that have happened there and to help him and us do that. Brother John will be here, uh, uh, Lord willing, on the 21st to speak with us, and then we're going to go out and have a time of prayer and uh, song. So we'll worship in here so you don't have to stand a whole long time out there. You'll be able to do it, and then we'll make our way and have a wonderful celebration. So that's July 21st. And for those of you who may be uh, misunderstand the announcement that was made on Sunday. This building, the HRA, is remaining intact. It's the original church building, the chapel, that will be coming down. It's possible that at some time in the future, this building may, may be updated, may be renovated, but it's going to stay intact. So we'll continue to meet here until further notice. So that's July 21st. Please keep that in mind. Uh, also, let me thank you for praying for me. I asked you to pray that I would take advantage of opportunities to uh, talk to the people I run into about the Lord Jesus. And so, Billy, thanks for praying. Yesterday, I went to a new barber, and uh, he was really a good barber, as you can see. Look, not too bad to look at, huh? I'm looking marvelous, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could hardly pull myself away from my mirror today. So in the course of being in the chair, getting to know one another, one thing led to another, and I got to share my testimony with him. And, and he was actually quite receptive. So now I'm praying that God would hasten the growth of my hair because I want to go back and share more. Stanley, there you are. With your permission, we shared your encounter at the Indian restaurant. There's Stanley. It's about time you show up. Folks, from time to time, we'll do this, where we'll give each other a chance to hear about opportunities the Lord has given us to share the gospel. So thank you for that. Now, uh, speaking of sharing the gospel, on July 18th, look, John Mark, I remembered, which is amazing to me, Jay Louder, who's been here many times and whom we love and who is gifted, gifted in sharing the gospel and giving the most marvelous and powerful invitations to which people respond, will be here as part of our uh, summer preaching series. Jay Louder is the speaker on July 18th. Now, because we're anticipating by God's grace that there may be a harvest of, of souls, we're looking for folks to volunteer to counsel, to be decision counselors with those. And so if you think you might be able to lend us some of your time and heart, could you make contact with John Mark either tonight or if you prefer, just call the church tomorrow and ask for John Mark and he'll give you information. There's going to be training this Sunday by John Mark and Dr. Denny Autry, who you know and love. He's also on our staff. And it will be in the chapel, not the old one, the new one at 3, at 4.30? At 4.30. John Mark, I did pretty good. Almost perfect. <laughs> now, if you can't make it for the training this Sunday, you're not disqualified. 
uh, you, please still express your interest in helping out, and John Mark will help you the rest of the way, and that would be a blessing for you to be able to sit across from someone who's just coming to be introduced to the Lord Jesus. Okay, I think that's just about everything. Well, tonight, folks, we're starting our new series, and here it is, Super Duper Bible Verses. I had invited you to share with me either your favorite verses or uh, troubling verses uh, that uh, you would like clarification about. And thank you so much for responding. I have enough now, enough material to take care of us uh, until the time of the Lord's return, <laughs> which is really good. I'm, I appreciate it. I don't have to think about what our subject is. You have given it to me. And I, I plan on getting to all of those which you've sent to me, but it's going to take a little time at this point. And I love the stories attached to the verses you suggested. So the first person I heard from was Steve Maricelli. And Steve asked that we speak a little bit about a verse that's quite meaningful to him. And Steve, um, since you made the mistake of being here tonight, uh, instead of me sharing with folks why that passage is meaningful to you, do you think you could come up here and it's just us? And would you share with us, why did you send this verse and why, why is it important to you? Thank you, brother. You didn't have to do this. Uh, well, it's important to me because like I told Stu, uh, it's the verse that I put inside all the crosses that I build. So this Isaiah 53.6 is, is written inside the cross arm of the 170-foot cross we have standing here on Sagemont. And uh, it kind of represents the, the symbol of what the Lord did for us. So uh, it's, and I want to know if Stu would uh, extend that a little bit. I know that you had mentioned one time that as a Jewish child, y'all weren't allowed to speak or to read that area of... Isaiah, so uh, take it away. Thank, thank you, Steve. Uh, don't be discouraged uh, uh, or hesitant to send me verses. I won't, I won't call on everyone. I knew Steve could handle it, and thank you for that. Isn't that marvelous? This particular passage, I did not know this, is embedded in the cross, in the cross arm of, of our cross right out here because of Steve's uh, contribution to, in that regard. So thank you for Isaiah 53, 6. So... Uh, folks, if, uh, uh, if someone were to tell you uh, people named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had a bunch of stuff to say about Jesus, you would rightly not be surprised because they were contemporaries of this Jesus. They saw his uh, works and they heard his words. But if someone were to say, and also, by the way, a Jewish prophet who lived about 700 years before the coming of Jesus, he also had much to say about him. You would be uh, justified in being surprised about that. Well, surprise, surprise, uh, that prophet is Isaiah, and he had much to say well in advance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look at that tonight because that was Steve's uh, request. So before we get to the passage, let me give you just a little bit of background. The book of Isaiah contains four servant songs, and they're found in those chapters, Isaiah 42 and 49, 50, and chapters 52 and 53. They speak of one who is referred to as the suffering servant of the Lord. Now, the verse Steve suggested, Isaiah 53, verse 6, which we're going to look at closely is contained in the fourth of the four servant songs. 
And I think it's best to uh, look to uh, um, that uh, verse by backing up to the beginning, which brings us actually to Isaiah 52. So let me begin reading to you in Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13. Here's what it says. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand." And so in the fourth servant song, Isaiah, again, writing about 700 years before Jesus, the Messiah, is speaking about this mysterious he. I want to invite you to be asking the question as we go through this, who is the he or the him that Isaiah is speaking of? I think, to give you a hint, you will be perhaps surprised to see, oh my goodness, he is speaking about the Lord Jesus. And so... uh, That's the beginning of the fourth servant song. And now we'll get into chapter 53. Here's verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So um, Isaiah 53, 1. A question is asked. Who's believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's asking the question? Who's speaking here? Well, uh, it's Jewish people who had been enlightened and who had come to get a vision of who their coming Messiah is going to be. After they saw the light, and that is that uh, God had made a provision for their sin through a coming Messiah, they went about just as we want to do. And they shared this gospel, this good news with their fellow kinsmen, fellow Jews, but much to their surprise and dismay, their fellow Jews, the vast majority, rejected their report. So they asked this rhetorical question, is there anybody who will believe? Is there anyone who will understand that by the doing of the law, the commandments of God, we can only be convicted of our sin? We're lawbreakers. We can't be justified by the doing of the law. The law is good. We are not. We need help. And God sent help in the form of someone, a suffering servant, to come to provide atonement for sin. And these remnant of Jewish believers are lamenting the fact that so few of their fellow uh, Jews came to believe. Who, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is 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 an idiom which kind of is a reference to God's saving activity. The arm of the Lord. It's a reference to salvation emanating from God. The arm of the Lord is God's power to deliver. It's God rolling up his sleeves, bearing his mighty arms, and providing salvation. And they are saying, to whom has this been revealed? Who has understood who the arm of the Lord is? And they're lamenting because so few of their kinsmen did believe. And you will see that they explained why Uh, So many rejected this suffering servant as their Messiah. 
And here's a hint as to why people rejected. It's in verse 2 of chapter 53. For he, again, please ask yourself, who is the he a reference to? For he grew up before him. There's the he and there's the him. They're different. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. The Jewish people in Isaiah's day were looking for deliverance. And in fact, they were looking for a savior of sorts, a kind of a messiah. They were looking for God to intervene on their behalf. But this one? <laughs> this is not the deliverer they're looking for. He's not God. Look, the expression says he grew up. That can't be God. God is perfect. He doesn't grow. This one grew. Therefore, he can't be God. This is a mere man. Men grow. God doesn't grow. Therefore, this one cannot be the Messiah they're looking for. He grew up before him. The him is God. Therefore, the he is distinct from him. The he can't be God because the him is God. You see, therefore, he is not the deliverer we are looking for. In fact, he's just a tender shoot out of parched ground. The parched ground is the arid wilderness of Israel. I mean, they're looking for a great tree, you know, a tree to liberate them from political bondage and all the rest. And what this one came with such an, a uh, such lack of fanfare. No drama to it. A root out of parched ground. Big deal. He doesn't look like our deliverer at all. This one cannot be the Messiah. And so the Jewish witnesses are realizing why so many of their fellow Jews have not believed their report. It gets worse. Verse 3. He, again the he. Please asking, ask yourself as we go through this, who is the he? He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. It's not just that the people were uh, not attracted to him. They despised him. They did not esteem him. You see that word esteem? It's an accounting term. It means to put a valuation on something. It means to assign a value to something. The Jewish people in the day thought about assigning a value to this suffering servant. Isaiah is speaking to us about here in the fourth servant song of Isaiah. And they devalue that suffering servant. Good night. He's just a root out of parched ground. There is just nothing about him that makes us proud. We just do not want to identify with the Messiah of that ordinariness. Therefore, he can't be our Messiah. He doesn't look like a victorious savior at all. In fact, he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet, according to verse 4, surely our griefs. Please take note of the number of times you see the word our. Uh, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He bore our 
uh, sorrows and griefs, but we essentially held him responsible for it. We thought he's going through all this because of his own sin. No, though he had plenty of grief and sorrow, this suffering servant, yet he bore our griefs and sorrows. Our griefs and sorrows, if we're honest, are largely due to our own sin and transgression. It's these which he took upon himself. He took upon himself the anguish due us as a result of our own sin. And yet we concluded that he is stricken. He's being punished by Almighty God for his own wrongdoing, not for ours. He was smitten of God because of his own sins. Not true. Look at verse 5. Steve, we're getting close to verse (laughs) 6. But he, here's the he again, was pierced through for, there's the word our again. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our, three times our, for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, whipping, we are healed. Folks, he was pierced, he was crushed. Whoever this he is. Remember, Isaiah's writing 700 years before this Jesus, who you and I claim to be the Savior. Good night. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can say stuff about him, but where does Isaiah get off talking about this Jesus who, who was 700 years yet to come? Well, uh, Isaiah is speaking of this suffering servant who was pierced and crushed and scourged, and then he says, by his scourging we are healed. Uh, as a result of the physical wounds which he Uh, experienced, we can experience uh, healing for the spiritual wounds which are ours due to our sin. And now we come to Steve's, thank you for your patience, Steve, Steve's uh, verse, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, that means all of us, folks, like sheep have gone astray. Now, just in case you think you're not part of this, each of us It's all of us, and it's each of us, has turned to his own way. Folks, that is kind of the characterization of sin. It's a turning away from the autonomy of God. That's the essence of sin. You may think it's sexual, or it's theft, or it's lying. No, no, those are the specific manifestations of sin. But what under... what, what is the foundation of all sin is this quest to be independent of God. And, 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 and so that's what it is. Each of us has turned to his own way, and what's God's response? But the Lord has caused the iniquity, fancy word for sin, the iniquity of us all to fall on the mysterious hymn. See it? There it is again. All of us have turned, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. So the question is, who is this hymn? Folks, it is no surprise to you, it's, it's Jesus. Isaiah the prophet has declared facts about the life of Christ approximately 2,700 years ago. And this text is precisely about the Lord Jesus. Now let's take a quick look, if you don't mind, at the rest of the chapter. Uh, uh, Steve, this is bonus. You only asked for one verse, but we're going to give you your money's worth. I want you to see the whole context. It's only 12 verses. So here's verse 7. I'll go quickly. He, please, again, focus on the he. Who's the he? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? Who is this one? acting as a substitute for the sins of the people. Isaiah 53, verse 9, His grave was assigned to be with wicked men, yet with a rich man in his death. Folks, who does this point to? Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Who in the world is Isaiah, a Jewish prophet who lived 700 years before Christ? Who's he talking about? Isaiah 53, 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. We hate that, that God would be pleased to have done this. And the reason we hate it is we underestimate the irrational love of God for us, <clears throat> that he's willing even to do this. Uh, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will... Uh, prosper in his hand. Folks, death is final. Uh, it's the end of things, but not in the case of this mysterious he that Isaiah is speaking of. The text here says he will see, he'll be crushed, he'll be murdered, but yet he'll see his offspring, he will prolong his days. Folks, to me, that looks like life after death. Do you mind me telling you that's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus right there. Full blown, fully explained, of course not. But folks, there's nothing new in the New Testament. Whatever's in the New Testament, we can find at least in embryonic form in the Old Testament, because they're both written by the same author. This is the foreshadowing of the one who fulfilled it when we get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This one who was put to death, nonetheless will see his offspring, his spiritual offspring. How? Up from the grave he arose, that's how. Isaiah 53, verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he'll see it and be satisfied. He will be satisfied with his work of atonement, and if he is satisfied with it, folks, you and I ought to be satisfied with it as well. If you are saved, stop trying to contribute to it. Just praise Jesus for being the author of your salvation and the finisher thereof. We don't work for our salvation. We do good things in response to the salvation, which is already ours. If this suffering servant is satisfied with the atoning value of his suffering, how dare you and I add to it in any way? He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, uh, my uh, servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Uh, those who are sinners don't have to bear their own iniquities because by the knowledge of him, he will bear it. What does the knowledge of him mean? It means when you come into a personal knowledge with whoever this suffering servant is, at that point, he serves as your sin bearer. Isaiah's talking about this, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Isaiah 53, 12, last verse. Therefore, I will allot a portion with the great. I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many 
and interceded for the transgressors. This one was despised and rejected of man, but he will be given by God the place of highest honor. Why? Well, God put him into the mediating position, and he accepted it. He interceded for us. He got right in the thick of things, right in the middle of it all. He stood in the gap between us and an otherwise unapproachably holy God, and he caused our sin to be covered. He filled the gap. He made a way just as if he was a bridge between us, sinful people, and a holy God. Now, who is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53? Could this be Jesus? But wait a second. Jesus is not for Jews. He's for Gentiles. Surely, therefore, our rabbis, religious leaders, they wouldn't want us to mistakenly conclude that Isaiah, our own prophet, is speaking of Jesus. Oh, no. They wouldn't want us to come to that conclusion at all. So I'll tell you what they've done. Here we go, Steve. They have kept us from reading Isaiah 53. Let me illustrate. When a Jewish boy or girl is 13, it's kind of a rite of passage. We call it a bar mitzvah, son of the law. That means at that point, your parents aren't accountable for you. You're accountable for your own stuff before God, that kind of thing. And at the bar mitzvah, it's a service. You have a service. The bar mitzvah boy has been given in advance a passage of scripture from the Bible, which he has to really study hard because he's going to chant it to the group. You sing the passage of scripture. So you're trained to do this for your bar mitzvah. And the assignment is made on the basis of the date of your birthday. You will get the passage of scripture that is typically read in the synagogue on the Sabbath closest to your birthday. So for me, my birthday corresponded to the reading in the synagogue, which on my birthday would have been Isaiah 53. That's why, Steve, when I got this, I thought, oh, when you sent it to me, I thought, oh, man, God is good to me because I want to share this anyway. And now if you don't like it, it's not my fault. It's Steve Maricelli. He brought the whole thing up. He's not some Jewish guy flapping at the mouth. It's this, Steve, are you Italian? It's an Italian guy who brought this whole thing up. There you go. So, so I didn't get Isaiah 53. I got Isaiah 54. Now, I didn't know this as a young little kid. You just do what the rabbis tell you. Years later, when I came to know the Lord Jesus as my Savior, just as you have, I decided to go back and look at my bar mitzvah speech and stuff like that. And I traced it down, looked at the calendar and realized, doggone those rabbis. They robbed me of Isaiah 53. One time I went to a rabbi after being saved to speak to him about this. Rabbi, why are we leaving out Isaiah 53? It's because when a younger like you, young person, uh, reads the Bible on his own without the help of the sages, you might mistakenly conclude this is about the forsaken one. They won't even say Jesus. It's about the forsaken one. Terrible, don't you think? Absolutely uh, terrible. So... Why, really, do the rabbis skip Isaiah 53? Could it be they don't want us 
to make the mistake of seeing that the passage points to Jesus as our own Messiah. But folks, Isaiah 53 clearly points to Jesus as the Messiah. So in Isaiah 53, it was predicted, the verses we just read, that the Messiah would be disfigured uh, by suffering. In Isaiah 53, 700 years later, Jesus was struck, spat upon, and mocked. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that the Messiah would come from humble beginnings. 700 years later, Jesus grew up in insignificant Nazareth. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that the Messiah would be rejected by uh, many. 700 years later, Jesus was mocked and blasphemed and reviled and crucified. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that uh, the Messiah would heal many. 700 years later, Jesus amazed people as he went about giving sight to the blind and enabling the lame to walk and ridding people of many diseases. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted uh, that the Messiah would take our punishment upon himself. 700 years later, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that uh, the Messiah would remain silent during his suffering. 700 years later, Jesus did not defend himself to Herod or Pontius Pilate or even to the Sanhedrin. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that the Messiah would be pierced through and die. 700 years later, Jesus had his hands and legs inside pierced through and died on a cross. What's amazing about that is that's not a Jewish form of capital punishment. We don't do the piercing thing. We stone people. That's a Roman deal. Now how in the world does Isaiah know about crucifixion and piercing through? It wasn't even invented yet. In Isaiah 53, it was uh, predicted that the Messiah would be buried with a rich man. 700 years later, Jesus was buried in the tomb, you know this, of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. In Isaiah 53, it was predicted that the Messiah would see his offspring and be exalted. 700 years later, Jesus rose up from the grave three days after crucifixion, and he lives today at the right hand of the Father and in the hearts of people, filled with joy because they are his spiritual offering. We are the spiritual offspring whom this crucified yet resurrected Jesus will see. Folks, make no mistake about it, the one who had no special physical attractiveness, the one who was despised and devalued, the one who experienced grief and sorrow, the one who was pierced through and crushed and whipped, the one who died and was buried, the one who rose from the dead, that one is Jesus, your Savior and mine. And that one was spoken of by Isaiah, the Jewish prophet. That is amazing, folks. Now, early rabbis concluded, in fact, that Isaiah is pointing to an individual, a Messiah, a suffering servant. That was the predominant Jewish perspective on this text until uh, the Middle Ages. And then there was a guy named Rashi, a famous Jewish theologian and commentator. And uh, Rashi went against the centuries of Jewish tradition and presented this new theory that the suffering servant 
of Isaiah is not a reference to a personal Messiah at all. It is a reference to Israel collectively. That's what Rashi uh, said. Now, a simple reading of, uh, we'll just take Steve's verse, verse 6, can prove to any thinking person that Rashi is dead wrong. So let me put this back up there for you. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, the us are the people. Like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, that's the people again, has turned to his own way. But the Lord, the Lord is God. You have the us, sinful people. You have uh, the Lord who is God. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So you have three uh, players, if you will, in this verse. You got the us, collectively, the people. And you have uh, the Lord who is God. And you have the him upon whom God put the iniquity of the us. Now, how could the us be the him and the him be the us. That's Rashi's uh, twist on centuries of Jewish thinking. Rashi said, no, the suffering servant of Isaiah is not an individual. It's us. We have suffered. We Jews have suffered. We've been persecuted for the sins of the Gentiles throughout the millennia. And uh, that's what we did. Now, folks, I think it is true that Jews have been persecuted throughout the millennia. I got all that. But our suffering was never to provide atonement for anyone else's sin. Good night. We got our own sin we need atonement for. This says the suffering servant will be one who will bear the iniquity of us all. Israel never did that. Can you see the um, ridiculousness of Rashi's theory? Uh, so, uh, Stephen, answer to what may be your question this Rashi's theory has become the thinking of modern Judaism today. Most, almost all rabbis have embraced Rashi's 12 centuries when he advanced this. Uh, Rashi's thinking that this is not talking about a Messiah. Forget about Jesus. It's not talking about a Messiah, period, at all. It's talking about Israel. We are the suffering servant of Almighty God. Folks, that is just not true. Now, why would Rashi, a smart guy, why would he advance this theory? And why would it still be embraced by so many rabbis today? Well, let me ask you a question. Could it be, could it be that Jesus fit the description here just a little bit too close for comfort? Could it be, therefore, that Rashi, who lived 1,000 years after Jesus, during which time Jews were coming to know the Lord then, just they were now, could he say, I got to put a stop to this? We can't let Jews think this is talking about Jesus. So therefore, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll make them see Isaiah is not even talking about any individual Messiah. He's talking about the people of Israel. Sheer and utter nonsense. And that's what my rabbis are teaching today. To keep my people from seeing Jesus in Isaiah 53. The rabbis were afraid that the impact of this passage on Jewish people who read it with an open mind and heart would be really bad, and their fears are correct. Many Jews have read Isaiah 53 and have had their lives changed when they've come to recognize that Jesus <gasps> is not just for Gentiles. He's for Jews too. I'll give you proof of it. You're looking at one. 
I stand before you today as a Jew who was raised in an Orthodox Jewish background under the teaching of the rabbis. And when, because of the prodding of a friend who was a Christian, I read Isaiah 53, I was shocked. Jesus is our Messiah. And I went home and shared it with my mother. And she too became a Jew who found Jesus in Isaiah 53. She said, I'm so angry because our rabbis have kept us in the dark. By the way, that's what all religious leaders do. Not just Judaism. All religious leaders keep their people in the dark. Read the scriptures and what will emerge is a clear picture of Jesus who died for the sins of Jews and for Gentiles. Well, folks, I want to offer you just a little encouragement. All you got to do is uh, take Isaiah 53, 6, one verse. That's all you got to do. And share it with any Jewish person you may become friends with. And just say to them, I'm curious, would you read this? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You just read it to him or with them. And then you simply say, who do you think the him is that Isaiah, your prophet, is speaking about? You don't even have to take them to the New Testament if they're reluctant to go there. If they think that's the Gentile part of the Bible, and of course they're wrong, but if they do, fine. Just stay with Isaiah 53, 6. Folks, that's the gospel in the Old Testament. There are other Jews like me out there waiting to hear the gospel. This is a wonderful way to share it because it's in language we can understand. Sometimes what I do, just to be a wise guy, I'll share with an unsaved Jewish person. I won't even give the reference, Isaiah 53, 6. I'll say, just read this. Who do you think it's talking about? Sometimes they'll say, oh, man, I don't want any of that Gentile, you know, New Testament stuff. And then I'll be able to shame them and say, hey, bozo, but I don't say that. That's your prophet. That's Isaiah speaking of your Messiah. When, you, when a Jew accepts Christ, you don't leave behind Judaism. You fulfill it. You come to the one prophesied by Isaiah. And you see the fulfillment of what he shared in Jesus of Nazareth. So please, don't be reluctant to share your faith with everybody. No soul is worth more than another. But don't leave the Jews out. That's all I'm asking for. Equal time. <laughs> We're being left out. Jewish evangelism is drying up today. I challenge you, go to a missions conference, even sponsored by our own convention, and you'll see uh, encouragements to have outreach to every people group on earth. Thank God for that. But what happened to us? We are noticeably absent from those conferences. Now, I'll share one thing with you, and this will get me in trouble, but uh, again, when you get to be my age, you got nothing to lose. <clears throat> A project was put together by the Southern Baptist Convention. That's ours. A few years ago, over 50 of our brain trust, our finest professors from our seminaries, were asked to contribute to uh, teaching material uh, to help disciple our youth. It was called the Disciple Six, because it would be done over six years. And it was to help students who want to go deeper than 
we could provide on a Sunday. And the Southern Baptist Convention put this together at no charge to churches who would want to use it. I was given it. I was asked to review it by a person who was then our student minister here who was thinking of using it with the, our young people. But I was just intrigued, and it looked so wonderful. It had so many wonderful subjects. It had theological subjects and practical subjects and, and uh, outreach training. It was just really great, spread out uh, evenly over six years. And on the uh, outreach section, it had things like sharing the gospel with your Muslim friend. Thank God for that. Sharing the gospel with your Buddhist friend. Sharing the gospel with your Jehovah's Witness friend. Sharing the gospel with your Mormon friend. Then I'm looking and I'm looking. What do you think was noticeably absent? Sharing the gospel with your Jewish friend. Most of our kids are more likely to run into a Jew than into a Buddhist. How do we get left out all of a sudden? I didn't know what to do about this. <clears throat> so I went to see Dr. Denny Autry, who was then the dean of our seminary over here. I said, Denny, I don't want to read more into this than I should, but this is our brain trust, man. This is over 50 of our seminary professors. These are the ones who are educating students when we send them to our seminaries. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first. I didn't write that. I said, Denny, what's happened to our denomination? He said, uh, uh, Stuart, I can't explain this, but uh, I'm sure there's an explanation. I said, Denny, I want to write a letter to the editors of this material. Not an angry indictment. Just ask, please, can you explain to me? I'm a Southern Baptist. I'm a minister in the Southern Baptist Church. I'm so grateful that someone shared the gospel with me. Why are you leaving other Jews out? Am I missing something? He said, if you write that letter, I'll carry it up there, Fort Worth because I'm going up there this week. I said, well, very gracious of you. So I wrote a letter, and Denny brought it, and I got a response from the guy who headed up all this stuff, Dr. So-and-so. Uh, he said, uh, Stuart, there's only so much we can put into this material. That's what he said. There's only so much. Uh, um, and, and, he, and he said to me, we would have included you know, more, but we can only include so much. Well, I had conversation with him. I said, well, Dr. So-and-so, I got an idea. Why don't you combine in one unit sharing the gospel with your friends who are in cults? And then you can talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and all the rest. Put it all under one umbrella and leave room for sharing the gospel with Jews. You know what the Bible says about sharing what God thinks about Jews? Romans 10, all day long, I've stretched out my arm to a disobedient and obstinate people. Oh yeah, my people are disobedient and obstinate. What's God's response? All day long, I'm stretching it, not my fist, my arm to them. That's his heart for his covenant people. They're not responding to me, but I will not let them go. And what's our convention doing? Totally ignoring Jewish evangelism. So I told this man, you know, why don't you combine those things and make room for me? I'll write a lesson on it. I'll write that section, sharing the gospel with your Jewish friend. He thought about it, and he said, no, we can't, we can't make those changes, but why don't you write that lesson, and we'll see about how to include it. I said, thank you, sir. That's wonderful. So I wrote it, and I wrote it exactly in the same format as all the other lessons. I made sure every jot and tittle was in the right place. It required no editing. I had to have illustrations in it and different things, so I sent it, and guess where they included it? 
in the back, the appendix, sharing the gospel with Jews, not even part of the body of this discipleship material produced by 50 of our number one seminary professors to be distributed to our Southern Baptist churches so as to disciple students. Can you see why guys like me are getting deeply concerned? We're not even on the map. We do not need special treatment. I don't agree with that in any way, shape, or form. No soul is worth more than another. But how do you leave us out? You don't barely hear anything about Israel in sermons today. Nothing. But you can't barely read a place in the Bible that doesn't talk about Israel. Now, I know you're saying, well, that's just a Jewish guy. Yeah, but a truth can come even from a Jewish guy. Folks, I'm telling you, things are happening today. A study has been done of evangelical kids raised in Christian households. And it's very scary to see the vast majority either have no interest in Israel or think Israel needs to be replaced, is replaced by the church, and is an apartheid state oppressing the people around them. That's pretty scary to me. That's our next generation. That is our next generation. <sighs> Folks, I read Isaiah 53. God introduced the Messiah to my people first, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. If you skip over the Jews, listen to this. If the gospel is not relevant to Jews, how could it be relevant to anybody else since it's meant for the Jews first? It's a Jewish gospel. Because of the hard-heartedness of my people, it's been made available to all people groups. That's the grace of God. I'm in favor of it. But to skip over its applicability to Jews... We have no program, almost no program in the entire Southern Baptist Convention anymore to extend the gospel to Jewish people. If you want to see a copy of what I just showed you, the disciple series I just told you about so you don't think I'm embellishing it, please come see me. I will show you. It's on my desk. Why? Because I keep it handy so I can share it. At, at any moment. Am I indicting my convention? No, I'm, I'm not looking for a better deal. I'm a Southern Baptist till I die and all the rest. We do great things. I'm just concerned about some of the drift and tendencies that I'm seeing, even amongst our brain trust on a seminary level. <clears throat> Something's wrong, folks. Something is wrong. Well, uh, I better stop now because not only... Um, well, I get an ulcer. I'll give you an ulcer. Let me, let me just end with this by making this clear. This is all due to Steve Maricelli. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's that guy right there. Folks, uh, Lord willing, next week, we'll take the next verse. It was submitted to me by Ann Joyner, a passage uh, very meaningful to her. And I'll get to Lord willing, to all your verses, they're wonderful. Some are from the Old Testament, some are from the New. It's a wonderful opportunity uh, for me. I'm quite blessed to be able to focus on those passages of Scripture. So, so we'll, we'll get to them, Lord willing. Remember, next week we'll continue this series, and the week after, a very special service here. We're going to have our students come as well, because after all, it's a building for them. And our pastor and our pastor emeritus will be here, as I say. We'll go out briefly to pray uh, 
and uh, think good things about that marvelous building that uh, is so meaningful to so many here and then rejoice in the bright future that the Lord has for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being um, perfect. Yes, the only perfect one. Thank you that your coming was no impulsive afterthought, premeditated, prophesied, and predicted. Oh, God, it is for the purpose of dying on the cross that you came. You saw it coming. You lived with that as your destiny and fate. We are so grateful, oh, God, that you love us so much. Father, that you were pleased temporarily even to crush your own son that we might be saved. And that message of salvation is so precious and liberating and meaningful. Perish the thought that we would leave any people group out from it. Oh, God in heaven, everyone you put in our way deserves a right to a hearing of the gospel message. Jew or Gentile, black or white, old or young, Arab, Muslim, male, female. The the world divides over those things. We will not. It's those who have the Son and those who don't. We have the Son. Put it within us to be willing to carry the message of the Son, you, Lord Jesus, to all people groups. Thank you, O God, for showing us from before time, 700 years before you came, that your plan to redeem us as sinners was in your heart and mind even from before time. And thank you, O God, for the unity and harmony of Scripture. The Old Testament uh, is tied into the New Testament. The Old Testament points to you and the New Testament All of these books are authored divinely by you and you alone. Thank you for Isaiah 53 and every other passage of Scripture. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you folks. Share the gospel with someone this week.